Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Hello and welcome to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken and Nick Keister. Thanks to all those who subscribed. You can follow us on at rocket underscore podcast. Coming up today, we'll be talking all things Six Nations with England beating Wales 33 to 30 and of course Scotland beating France 28-17. Coming up, we'll also be talking to ex-Wales and Lions hooker Richard Hibbard. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So Nick, Joe Marler's antics... Let's call it the the tackle tickle. I don't know what you want to refer to it tackle as. Tackle gate, isn't it? Tackle, tackle gate. gate. Love uh, it. Yeah, I mean, have you ever experienced anything like that? I mean, you know Joe Marler, but uh, looks like he's going to be in hot water, doesn't it? For anyone that doesn't know, uh, during the England-Wales game, Joe Marler grabbed Alan Wynne-Jones' genitalia. Yeah, it was more of a fluff than a grab, wasn't it, really? But... Uh, I, I mate, look. I haven't. The worst, worst situation was. Uh, well, I mean, look. There's been a lot of stories, and I remember uh, Buck Shelford. Um, well, his ball, back in his 1987, ball, his was ball it? dropped out, didn't it? His ball, then, his yeah. testicle dropped out, and he was concussed. So he never realised till he took his pants off afterwards or whatever, and everyone was staring at it, pointing, going, "What the hell is that, Buck?" Um, still fathered four kids anyway, so uh, <laughs> you can work with one. Um, yeah, no. Look, I, I remember. After university, I took a gap year out to South Africa and uh, I was playing rugby out there, club rugby in Cape Town for Villagers. And, you know, you play the township sides out there and you're in for a different sort of physicality. Um, They're, you know, any which way sort of goes. And, you know, regularly when you're playing there, there'll be biting, bollock grabbing, um, kicking when when you're on the floor in a ruck. I mean, you've really got got to have your wits about you and know how to handle yourself there. And I remember the first time I carried a ball out, ball up uh, against one of the sides. It Rugby was, ball, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. First time I carried one, I was expecting the guy just to be dipping, ready to tackle, you know, or maybe upright, so I might fend him off, whatever it might be. He stepped out of the way, just like a matador, but then grabbed my bollocks or grabbed everything, my genitalia. Yeah. And that's what that's that's what they like to use yeah. in the papers. Now. Grabbed my genitalia, gave it a hell of a fucking yank, mate. Really? And, I spilt the ball, mate, because oh, there, there's two more important balls to look after, I tell you that. I just went for him. I just fucking went for him. Oh, did you? But that was a big problem, because we were away from home, and down there, when you're in the middle of Mitchell's Plains, sort of gangland capital, yeah. you don't do that when they got about four or 5,000 Bane fans, and the touch judge and ref are giving you absolutely nothing. Um, but that's an Englishman in a foreign country, isn't it? Not really knowing you know, the protocol. Well, well I, I did. I did look up, and I'm enlightened on it now. At the Regulation 19, Appendix Two, it says any grabbing, twisting, or squeezing of the genitalia, the low end uh, sort of punishment will be 12 weeks, and mid punishment 18 weeks. And then I've read in the papers that um, the lawyers, the QC, are going to argue that it was more of a flick. <laughs> Which doesn't necessarily. Well, mate, I think he was just trialing out an alternative greeting with the the coronavirus outbreak, wasn't he? He was just sort of, you know, checking out whether this was a, an acceptable <laughs> thing to do, you know, given what's happened in recent weeks. What about Gareth Thomas's comment? And and in light of the the woke environment, which I still not and 
too sure what woke means other than sort of very alert to offence and easily offended and sort of with the times. But Gareth Thomas made light of it saying, you know, if if, if, he'd, if, he, if that was happening when he was playing, he wouldn't have retired, which in a way is funny. But everyone's sort of referring it to the workplace. If that happened in the workplace, you know, it would be it'd be a common assault. It'd be, you know, you could get imprisoned. And it's actually very different, isn't it, in the rugby well, I think he, I think he was actually referring to because, you know, Alfie... You know, he's done a lot of good things in the yeah, game and off the field. Of course. But we know he's got one hell of a schnoz on him. And I think he was just, you know, he would like to have been out there because Marley equally has got just a hell of a conk on him as well. And I think he probably saw, you know, you know it takes one to know one, doesn't it, really? And I think he was thinking, geez, I'd love to have been out there with a big nose on big nose. <laughs> and, uh, having a little tickle I was just wondering where field. you're going with that. Now, do you know what? Is it an overreaction? I think Owen Jones' press conference sort of he made light of it but at the same time you know i think potentially what he was saying is perhaps if the you know if the uh, tmo had a look at it and it could have been a yellow card offence but where is this going to go because you know rugby has to be seen to do the right thing and you're a mate of joe's i mean what was he thinking it was it was sort of it was just bizarre i think was he trying to be funny i mean that's his call card isn't it try and be funny mm. and yes owen jones had his his elbow in his throat and it was just the last little tipping point. I, I saw him, he was smiling as he did, and I just thought, mate, honestly, there's cameras everywhere. What were you thinking? Yeah, look, I, look he likes to play the pantomime villain, doesn't he? He likes to be the sort of joker in the pack. Um, and he, he can flick a switch. So it never deters with his ability on the field and how he plays nah. the game. He actually probably had one of his best games in England shirt. Okay. Um, but he likes to make light-hearted uh, you know, any sort of incidents that are mildly seriously a little bit more light-hearted. I tell you what, yeah. lads, you know, there's a bit of afters here. Let's get on with it. But I think he got this one wrong. You know, he clearly did. That's what we're all talking about, unfortunately, instead of the game. But, you know, it makes for good sort of discussion did, points. Did you see his tweet, which was hilarious? He yeah. said, bollocks, utter bollocks. And, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> which is quite funny. But, I mean, people listening, you know, might be offended by our sort of reaction to what happened. It's for me. It's it's an interesting one because, as I said to you, when it happened to me first time and then multiple times after that, you know, I wasn't going to let it go unless the referee stepped in. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, is it disrespectful? You know, someone going up and doing that if they're not a mate. You know, if they're sort of, yeah. I know they're mates off the field because mm. they're obviously ex Lions players and two sure. together. But you know, when you're actually in the heat of a battle on the opposition, it's sort of a bit like, listen, mate, well, what makes you think you can go there? Um, but he wouldn't have thought about that, Joe. He would have done it as a bit of a light-hearted incident, yeah. maybe as well in mind. You know, he's, he's a smart guy. Maybe in mind as well of goading the most important player, the talisman in the Welsh team, to doing something. Maybe give it, you know, punching him. And Alan Wynne Jones, to be fair, showed his professionalism. And he said it afterwards, didn't he, in a press conference? Said, "I've got 100, you know, 147 caps. If I punch the guy, I get sent off." Yeah. But what I find interesting in this, or well, I don't find interesting. What would have been interesting is what would have happened if, one, the T- that had been brought to the TMO's attention after 10 minutes, whatever it was yeah. in the game, what would have happened? And two, um, if Alan Wynne-Jones had punched him, got sent off, Marler would have got sent off as well. And he was actually asking the touch judge and the referee to have a look at it. You know, he didn't uh, persevere with it too, mm. too hard, but he was actually asking him to have a look at it. And they didn't. And I just wonder, I think Marius Jonker might have been sort of tucking into a biscuit and tea and not really knowing what the law law was in the, in the, in the book, which we all know now, you wouldn't after the event. Can you imagine? But I wonder what he would have done. I mean, what do you think wow. he would have done? If that had been referred to the TMO, 
that's because you've also got to take into account that you do have a duty to the fans, the pain fans, and for something like that, but I think you have to have some sort of empathy and understanding with the game. I think he might have just got a telling off or maybe a yellow card if they consulted the law book. Oh, it's I, a tough one, isn't it? Imagine, we will never know. We'll never worse, know. Can you imagine, though, they put that up on the big screen for everyone to see? Hmm. Joe Marler having a, a little crack at his, um, at his privates. No, I, do you know what? I think in this environment, I think 15 years, 20 years ago, absolutely fine, not a problem. But nowadays, it just seems so out of place um, and it just seems, you know, it just seems something that perhaps will be taken well out of proportion. I can imagine Piers Morgan putting this on uh, Good Morning Britain and saying, we're all snowflakes, come on, it was only a bit of banter. But um, the thing is, it's about horseplay, isn't it? And and sometimes, you know, in the rugby environment, in the changing room environment, people say things and do things and goad each other. And it's, it is a very you know, masculine, you know, sort of jockey type environment. And there, there was a picture I saw of Alex Dombrandt after a win a couple of weeks ago and he's standing up with his shirt off and he's he's singing and then, and Joe Marler's grabbing him by the bollocks as well. Have you seen that? And it's kind of like, it, it is it is Maybe it's a fetish of his. Maybe. Know, maybe he's got an addiction and we've got to look at it from that point of view, you know, and it's very offended society. Maybe we, yeah. we can't prejudge. Yeah, well, I mean, I have my own, um, I, I mean, talking about getting a kick in the bollocks and a grabbing but no one seemed to want to grab mine but I did get a kick in the bollocks couldn't find them couldn't find them possibly was uh, was one of my last games for Saracens against Newcastle and uh, the big Doddy Weir ran over the top of me and at the same time stood on my crown jewels and uh, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to say what happened um, maybe I'll, I'll enlighten later on at the end of the show mate I remember but, it happened I'm just going to interrupt you there Paul Volley it happened to Paul Volley, and we know what Vols is like. Yeah, and uh, it literally blew up like a like really? a tenpin bowling ball. And right. he would he'd have no shame in stripping off coming into the physio room and just saying, "Right, you got to deal with this." To yeah. the two girls who were treating yeah. him at the time, and I think he actually secretly loved it. Um, but, and they just like pack it with ice, and oh mate, it was horrendous. Horrendous. Do you know? Do you know, do you know what in the in in the environment of the of the player environment? I mean, you know, we all. I mean, we're going in deep now, but you know when you're getting changed and you're naked and you go in and out of the showers and baths originally, but there's a lot of mickey taking, isn't it, about the size and the width and the girth and all of that. But it is a, it is a very, very sort of male-dominated environment where, so I remember one player, and I won't, I won't name it Saracens, he had elephantitis of one of his balls, or his balls, and they were absolutely ginormous. And the amount of stick he got every single day about the size of his balls uh, because everything sort of looked in, insignificant compared to them but um, all wheels no cannon <laughs> I think we're going to have some complaints on this uh, show but 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 what yeah, about we can the, edit it out what about the what about the um, so what about the the sending off of, of Manu to Alanga the other talking point in the game and we, we will get to the game eventually well hold on you haven't answered my question which is if that was brought to the attention of the TMO what do you think would have happened and then we'll discuss and we'll put it to bed because we need to yeah. move on what do you know he well, it's likely i've heard from good sources that he's probably going to get cited tonight yeah um what sort of sanction is he looking at you know is it well of, the sanction but, but is we'll, we'll the, cover the first one first the okay, first question so was, was what how would the ref would have dealt with it oh, you go back 48 one. hours um, the, and it's brought to his attention well it's in it's in the rule book though it's in the rule book yeah. and I'm guessing this is me guessing now in the rule book would be it would be a ban and if it's a ban of 12 weeks therefore it should have 
it should that's have been highlighted. They're, so that's they're saying low end. But that would be a red card, wouldn't it? Or is it not but, in the but rules? But doesn't it say grabbing, twisting... And squeezing. And squeezing. He's definitely had a squeeze and Let, a twist or yeah. something. He's not flicked it, because that's what the QC, they're saying now, they're going to say... It's actually, a fluff, it's a fluffing. It's, it's a um, fluffing, right. <laughs> but the other thing is, is when that rule was put in place, and you don't really know, when that rule was put in place, was it to put the opposition off mid-play? So, for example, my example, I'm carrying the ball, the guy, yeah. you know, he knows he's not going to tackle, he's yeah. going to stand a you know, low I, chance I'd of being successful. I'd move out He's trying to put me off my game, make me drop the ball by that. Same with, I remember, an ex-teammate of mine, George Robson, yeah. about three, four years ago for London Irish, um, pleaded guilty to grabbing someone's testicles, got six-week ban in the, in the championship for London Irish. Yes. But that was in a mall, that was when the play was live. This is sort of like, it's a little bit of afters, it's died down a bit. Yeah. It's his old Lions teammate, as I say, I think it's. I can't get out of my head that it's a little bit de- demeaning, possibly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what Alan Wynne Jones and Wales feel up- upset about. You know, yeah. it's sort of quite disrespectful. But that's the only thing I can see in it personally because but in the he's not he's not done it. Okay, mid play to try and get an advantage. No, it's not been malicious, is it? And he's not tried to hurt him. He's done it as a joke. So therefore, there's a bit of a blurred line. So I don't know the answer no. if they had a chance to review it if it was on the screen and you're right if I only re- reacted and given him a punch so I, listen, th- I think I think he probably Max would have got a yellow card yeah. Max yellow card and it would have been one of them that god we've not come across this before <laughs> although I might know that you know Marius Jonker was the TMO yeah. even though even if he went through the law book and saw that saw it as a red card offence possibly um, I don't think I think he would have thought well actually 10 minutes into the game give him a talking to you give yeah. him a yellow card we've dealt with it and then the what sighting about, commissioner can deal with it after. Well, we'll see. And I, I think it's going to be a ban. I think it's going to be quite lengthy to make a statement, if anything. But but a lot of talk is has been about Manu Tulangi's tackle. I, I don't know what your take was on it. But it's yeah, a different yeah, type of tackle. It is a different about, yeah. type of tackle. But Manu's tackle, I, I thought it was. I thought it was day. I thought it was a red card all day. And then you know Eddie Jones after the game, which is disappointing, and people might know that I've got a bit of a beef with Eddie Jones. He turned around and said, it "Was well, we, we had to play thirteen men against 16 We'll talk about that in a minute. Whether that was the right thing to say, which I think is very disrespectful. But Manu's tackle, um, it was. It was dangerous. I mean, he didn't he didn't wrap anything. He caught him on the on you know on the head, nearly knocked him out. And I just just thought, why why is everyone saying that that was an okay tackle and it was normal? And Eddie Jones said, you know, it's a game of rugby. It's 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 supposed to be. What else was he supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to have the opposition player as you know uh, you know health and safety. At, at, as, as the number one priority and I was just amazed that the reaction was like never a red card it was always a red card it was a great tackle by Slade he was going to go over and score and he just took his head off that's what he did it's a red card all day long um, it, it was a red it was a red card but and I think <laughs> there are mitigating circumstances and that is that George North's height has dropped considerably due to, one, him trying to reach out or yeah. trying to get low enough to sit down Henry Slade, one, because of the brilliant tackle that Henry Slade made. For anyone out there, including you, Brax, you played the game, thinks when you're making a despairing effort to go and stop a try, you know, mm. it's about three, four metres from the try line, and you're mid-air that you can change the speed and height that you're at, they are dreaming. This is a dynamic sport in the moment. This isn't you're chasing a high ball. You've got to remember that you've got to, you know, the duty of cares on the catch and you've got time to think and prepare beforehand. Mm. He's despairingly trying to make a tackle at a height, okay, which is hip height usually from a from mm. a if if George North was carrying it normal. However, 
that mitigating circumstance probably gets thrown out the window because he hasn't led with his arm. He's led with his shoulder. And thankfully, yes, it connected with the head, but it was a glancing blow because we know George North has had horrendous issues. And I'm glad, um, by all accounts, what people say to players afterwards as well, that that he's okay. And it's interesting because I think Ben Young's, um, when he was interviewed, he sort of said, look, we don't have a, we don't have an issue with the decision. Manu didn't have an issue with the decision either. No. He sort of left the field in good grace. Yeah. Um, you know, he sort of accepted his punishment and came off. I, I just think, though, I mean, he looked like he'd been knocked out, George North, for half a second, he, he, like a couple of weeks before when he, he got knocked out. I was surprised he was playing, actually. That's another talking point. Surprised that he was allowed back to play, having been knocked out not too long ago. And concussion, I got concussed quite a few times, and I think it's a very dangerous game to play, play on concussion. It's, it's not the first time as well. I remember when he was playing for Northampton. There yeah. was a few instances, and, and they, you know, even when he went off with HIA and they brought him back on, and it was all very, very dodgy then. How's he allowed play two weeks later? He was clean knocked mm. out in that game at, at uh, Millennium Stadium was it Millennium yeah and to see him back playing two weeks and I, I for a second I thought he was out and then he came he sort of came round but I just think has he had a substantial break with it no that's what head I'm, injury trauma or not no I don't think he has, has it? Well, it, I, I remember when I was at Quinn's three three four years ago James Chisholm um, our flanker last minute against Gloucester went up for a, we'd scored a last minute penalty we won the game with it we just had to secure the kick off mm. they went short went up for the ball came down horrendously on his head stroke neck shoulder what you know the lifter sort of didn't look after him basically yeah. stretched it off sandbags all that sort of stuff Ended up, you know, through multiple sort of <clears throat> diagnosis and opinion that they thought it might have been his neck and everything, but then it was his head and concussion. And he wasn't right for a long time. And that was one, and I know each incident is in isolation is completely yeah. different, but he hadn't had any previous instance of head trauma. Um, and he didn't come back for about nine months. Mm. He was out for nine months. And every time he came back, you know, there was protocol about how hard he mm. could go or whether he did contact. And he was very honest. And, you know, the next day, sometimes you can be great afterwards and for the rest of that evening, but it's the next day or two days later well, where I, it can come back. I mean, I, I got knocked out a couple of times in succession. And the first one was a clean knockout. Uh, but the week later, this is going back to 98, 99. A week later, I was playing and Danny Grucock had a glancing blow and suddenly I was on the floor. And... After my career, I think I, I got concussed about, say, six, seven times. Mm. And some of them were, con you know, straight after each other, which is the dangerous part of, of concussed. But but I've noticed over the last 10 years since we retired, I've no, or, or more, that, that my my memory is, is quite poor. My short-term memory especially, even long-term names and everything is, is a real struggle. So I went and got tested, believe it or not. I went to the RPA. I said, I don't feel quite right. Mm -hmm. and, and I had a test. And they said... It's okay, but your your short term memory could be a, you know, a result of playing rugby. We'll have to test it in another three or four years. But that's a concern, and I do think I do think they took a risk with George Ford playing in that game. And and I think it is something that's interesting. They're talking about maybe you know bringing the tackle down to below the waist. It'll be interesting whether that will come in. But let's just go back to the game. So so Eddie Jones said. I mean, interestingly, you know, he said playing uh, thirteen against sixteen. I think that was a bit disrespectful. Reason being because 
yesterday, the day after the game, I was uh, watching some kids play uh, sort of uh, junior rugby. My youngest was playing for Barnet, playing a team. And at the end of the match, there was a try disallowed with the opposite team. And it was one of the coaches. And one of the kids shout, you're cheating, you're cheating. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, we, you can't say that. It's disrespectful. The rules, you know, the values of our game. And then I thought to myself, hang on a sec. We, we, I can't stand up and say anything when the head coach is saying... 13 against and sim- 16. And similarly, that, you know, we don't want to go back to the incident, it'll be prob- hopefully the last time I mention it, but that's what a lot of people are saying about Joe Marler's. You know, however insignificant or humorous you think it is, yeah. you know, young kids, you know, going to their rugby clubs or throughout their schools, are they going to start doing it? And then sort of where do you draw the line or, you know, what do you do about it? But I thought it was disrespectful because Ben O'Keefe, I thought, had a cracking game. Took, think, took a long time over his decisions, I think. No, mate, I, th- I think he's a very measured guy. He has a good rapport with players. There's not many there, there, There's not many accomplished refs out there. I mean, we're not even going to get stuck into the Scotland-France referee <sighs> who literally just let everything go. It, yeah. was, it was horrendous performance from him. Yeah. But uh, Ben O'Keefe is one of the best, if not the best, of the Southern Hemisphere referees, in my opinion. And look, if it's an important decision, and it's an England-Wales test, mate, you know, yeah. and I know we were comfortably the better side, probably throughout the game, we'll cover that later. He's, you know, these decisions still make a huge difference at that level. Mm. No, absolutely. And I'm happy for him to take his time on those key key decisions. Yeah, but on the on the game, it was, um, I mean, England started so well. Great to see Anthony Watson. His footwork just reminds me of Jason Robinson. Every time he gets the ball, he was outstanding. But uh, the score really didn't reflect what happened on the day because it was, it was if anything, it was an absolute battering. Um, and at half-time, I thought, well, I didn't even come out for the second half. I just watched it on TV and suddenly I looked up and, and Wales scored what, what will be described probably one of the greatest tries ever at Twicken. I mean, what a try mm. from Wales. I didn't expect that. But England just just always had it in them to get back in there and, you know, an extra three points here and there. And it was scrappy. I do feel, though, I don't know what you think, but, um, but England seemed to kick the ball away it seems and you're a coach now it seems sometimes you're better off not having the ball almost at international level and Slade came on and did very well you've got Slade and Daly and Ford and Farrell you've got all these guys who can kick a long way and actually it really did work and it was a case of actually we don't want the ball we're just going to squeeze you get a lot of line speed force mistakes but for the Twickenham crowd it's a bit boring to watch it is a little bit boring now. Bit, yeah but it's part of the game Brax and uh, people talk about kicking and they always refer to the All Blacks Think you know they are a wonderful side to watch, but you know certainly when I was playing, statistically they kick them all more than anyone, and that field position is hugely important at the highest level. And England do it better than anyone else. They hardly give opposition um, opportunities in their half or in their twenty-two, and to have that many options makes you a very very hard team to defend against. You know what do the backfield do? What do the guys on the outside, the wingers, do defensively? Especially when I thought Slade had a cracking game when he came on at fullback. So you've now got Slade Daly. You've got Farrell Ford, Ben Youngs, all guys in kick. George Cruz, thankfully, he's given up his uh, his kicking career, but uh, that would have made a sick. But th- these guys, th- and and what it does, it helps it helps your attack with ball in hand as well. Um, and England are looking very, very good. And from my point of view, what I was happy to see, and I've always been a critic of the one area where England need to actually improve to win the World Cup in four years' time: problem solving. When the momentum's against you, get it back. When it, Wales scored that try. I know they were still up up on the scoreboard, so it wasn't quite. They were ten points down in the second half and mm. had to find a way to win. But their reaction was great. Courtney Law's got the penalty, zipped it over, got the penalty at the next scrum, zipped it over. Suddenly, that score, we're back to where we were at half time. And I was very impressed with how they dealt with that situation. Do you think if it was another five, 
five minutes to go that Wales would have come back. I mean, what, I mean, from Wales' point of view, they'd be disappointed the way they started the game and 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 pleased how they got back into the game. But Wayne Pivak, you know, he can't buy a win at the moment. Yet they're playing some lovely rugby. You know, some great tries. They've they've got a real star in Nick Tompkins who was outstanding. Um, but again, you know, it's going to be a cracking game for them against Scotland now next because that's going to be one one hell of a game. Well, if you think about it, for okay, we won't. Wales, if Scotland beat Wales, they've lost in an absolute howl of conditions, only just to England. Yeah. They're a Stuart Hogg drop away from beating Ireland. Yeah. And I know he's, oh, they could have been potential Grand Slam. That's not my point. My point is, the pressure, it's just funny how, you know, it turns. The pressure's on Gregor Townsend with the Finn Russell saga. They lose two in a row. Then they're unconvinced against Italy. They put in a performance like they did yesterday. I know we'll move on to them a bit. And suddenly, they, they win in the millennium and they've got the momentum. I'll tell you what's going to happen with that game, though. I think you're going to see a cracking game of rugby. Because Scotland are playing some gorgeous stuff, ball in hand. Wales are playing some great stuff, ball in hand, you say. And as far as Wayne Pivot's concerned, I don't think you should be panicking. They've got a great coaching staff. Um, They're expanding their game. And let's not forget, as well, Warren Gatland did some wonderful things, but he also went through some periods of losses. You know, a number remember. of losses in a row, mate. He really, did. He yeah, did. No, he did he couldn't buy a win against the Southern Hemisphere for years and years yeah, and years. Um, he had you know, some autumn series. I remember them drawing with Japan, losing to Samoa, drawing with Georgia. He's also had some hammerings, you know, f- from England and Ireland in the Six Nations as well. But we remember the good things. But You're right. Wayne has got to stick to his guns. He clearly will. He's confident. He knows what he's doing. The board have got to be patient. I think they will. They know that the expectation is going to be ridiculous after what Gatlin's done. Okay, so they've tempered that. He needs to bring through this next generation of players. But what he needs to find is front five forwards and front row forwards because they are getting decimated in the scrum. Yeah. Dylan Lewis and Rob Evans absolutely got schooled by Joe Marler and Carl Sinclair and they got schooled against... Um, Ireland as well you can't do anything at test level if you haven't got the foundations there and Wales need to go out and start looking for front row forwards especially prop forwards and a few more backup guys to Alan Wynne-Jones before we talk about that game the the Scotland win against France which has opened up the championship massively now quite a few teams can theoretically win it now but uh, Eddie Jones is uh, having his meeting with the chief exec Bill Sweeney uh, I believe this week to talk about the future of his uh, career. Will he carry on to the 2023 Rugby World Cup? But I was interested in what Eddie Jones said. He said he's going to bring the Triple Crown uh, trophy with him to the meeting, which was quite funny. Might maybe up his salary. I don't know. But he did say, Eddie Jones, again, I want to get your take on this as a coach. He did say, I really hate coaching. Any coach that says mm-hmm. that they love coaching is a liar. This is what he says. I hate it. Um, the, only, the only buzz I get is... You know, when we prepare for a game, we come together that 24 hours after where you win and then I'm back to coaching again and it's sort of trying to get the best out of these guys and the pressure I put on myself. So he's come out, which is which is surprising and I wonder whether it's a, a bit of a red herring to mm. sort of shift the focus away from Joe Marler and Manu Tuolangi. He says he now hates coaching. Have a little read of what he said. But you never felt like that as a coach, did no, you? No, no, I love it. I love every aspect of You're it. You're missing you it, get, aren't you? You get, you get nervous. You get nervous. Um... 
you know, probably in the lead up to the game. When a game's taking place, your job is okay. You've got to prepare them as well as possible. Start of the week, a little bit towards the tail end. Let the let the senior players take over from there on in, and, and they're the guys. You know, they're doing they're doing the bidding for everyone. You know, they're executing, mm. making decisions, and uh, you know, to be a part of the contest every week. Still, um, you know, it's never better than playing, but to be a part of the contest, uh, you know, develop young people, young players, you know, and also a group. And, uh, you know, it's a great environment to be in. Look, it's, you know, he's under the most pressure. He's arguably got the highest pressure job, isn't he? Yeah. You know, the England would you, coach, would whether you, it be football, would you give whether him the it would job. be rugby. Would you give him the job to 2023? Yeah, 100%, mate. You would. And I know you're not a big fan, you know, as yeah. a few podcasts ago, but uh, <laughs> what better options are there out there? I think as Warren, well... Warren what, Gatland? Um, uh, arguably, but... Eddie Jones, what's his record against Gats? He's lost one competitive game, and that was last year in the Six Nations. He mm. beat him in all the other three games, didn't he? Mm. Um, Eddie Jones got the two World Cup finals. One, one as a, a, a consultant or assistant to South Africa. Warren Gatlin hasn't got to those. I know he's with Wales, probably you know not as strong a squad. Um, but look, Warren's obviously a top, top coach. Um, what I like, though, and I think this is going to make a big difference to them going forward, is his coaching group's experience now. So whereas he had young English coaches before who were brilliant coaches um, and they sort of all left after, you know, just, you know, maybe two years, three years, four years, he's now brought in Matt Proudfoot for the forwards and you can see the difference he's made, certainly from a scrum point of view. John Mitchell defensively. Great I job. Mean, you, I mean, yeah. if you remember before John Mitchell came in, they got hammered in South Africa. They conceded 60 to the bar bars. Um, you know, they struggled in that Six Nations, didn't they, 2018? And he, I mean, the brutality and physicality and line speed of England defence is just awesome it's absolutely awesome and uh, those guys also have such IP from being around the game for so long that they're, they're likely to challenge Eddie whereas I don't think the previous coaches probably would have challenged Eddie as much as these guys so when I, you've got those new ideas coming it's a little bit like Sean Edwards going to France and I know they didn't quite perform yesterday but Sean Edwards comes in with a different perspective different way of doing things how things are being done a different view from the outside and you just add ideas to the table. And those little bits, you know, those little bits of tinkering or thoughts or make a big difference. I just think sometimes on selection, I, I know he wants to turn Curry into a world-class number eight and he did play well at the weekend. But then I see players, Dan Robson carving up the premiership. I see Alex Dombrant playing really well. I see form players and, and, and yet there's sort of no changes. But listen, you know, he, he has got a very good record. His win ratio is very high. Um, I suppose the players love him, mate. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, that's that's probably most important. The players love him, love working for him. They love going into camp. They enjoy the training. They enjoy the analysis um, and the game plan. And I haven't spoke, spoken to one player that doesn't. Okay, well that's that's interesting. I'll just probably have to eat my words when England win the World Cup in 2023. <laughs> Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. You're listening to Rocket, and today we'll be speaking to Richard Hibbard of Wales. Hello. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, boys. You? Yeah, good, good. Uh, thanks for taking our call, and great that you're oh, on no Rocket. Uh, it's. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the game at the weekend. But the biggest talking point was obviously the Joe Marler uh, having a little, as as Nick Easter refers to, as <laughs> a, a, a fluffing with uh, Alan Jones. So, what what was your take on it? What would you have done, and what's your take on it? Uh, well, there's not much you can do, really. You can't exactly go around and throw him around. Uh, it's all a bit of nothingness, really. Would you would you have smacked him if? I mean, has that happened to you in your career? I mean, as a you know, it was more gentle and a bit of crack. Have you had someone grab you? And have you had a? Oh yeah, we have all sorts of stuff going on all the years. 
it's just it happened to be in Twickenham and Wales really England game and it's well fifty thousand cameras there, but yeah, would you, would you, mate? Would you have had? Uh, hello, Richard and Nick East there. Would you have had? Hey, would you have had the self control not just to give him an, an uppercut there? Um, <laughs> would you? Because you, you, you know, as you say, the cameras are there. You're much more aware of it now. The discipline is a huge, huge thing in the game. Um, but we were discussing earlier that I think if Alan Wynn had swung there or connected, yeah. he would have been red carded. But interesting, what would have happened with Joe Marler? You know, now we know the law book. That would have been, that yeah. would have played out an interesting situation. Uh, it would have, yeah. And uh, I was I was great restraint. To be fair, uh, I think I was more shocked looking at the clip. I think anybody would be a bit bit shocked. Maybe uh, completely out of the blue. Uh, but uh, I don't, I don't know. It's all uh, storm in a teacup, uh, isn't it? Snow yeah, snowflakes yeah. in March, isn't it? Is that what, is that what you're saying? Is, yeah. Yeah. Mate, how are you yeah. anyway? Did you uh, did you watch the game at the ground? Did you get to Twickenham doing a bit of corporate work, work or as uh, a fan? Where did no, you watch no, the game? I actually went down to a local community centre and watched it with a family, so it was, it was good doubt. Oh, excellent, excellent. And what did you yeah. think, mate? What do you think of, uh, well, what did you? What do you think of Wales in the game? And then we'll talk sort of broader about Wales and, um, you know, where they're going. Uh, I thought it was it was a tough game for them, to be fair. Uh, England, uh, last week they showed how strong they are, and they showed that again this week, and... Uh, Wales did well in the end. They showed the uh, the attack and style they want to play. Uh, and they come back very close, but after the game was done. Uh, still, uh, still a couple of questions to be asked about Wales and when are they in the transition period? So, it's. Uh, and do you it, think? Going, do, do you think Wayne Pivak will have sort of room and will be forgiven for the way he's trying to play the game? You know, three three losses on the bounce. You know, you've had so much success with Warren Gatland, and how patient will a the way you know the Wales public be, and you know, and obviously you know the management. You think he's safe for some time to come? Oh, I like to hope so. Uh, you've got to give him time. He's got to create his own way, his own culture. Mm. Uh, uh, he's totally different from Gats, uh, so he's got to be given time. <laughs> he's chosen uh, some tough games, man. He got the Six Nations, yeah. and we got. New Zealand three times this year, so yeah. But as you as you say, Richard, I think that's that, that's the, that's the best opportunity to see where you're at and and measure where you're at and where you need to go as well. And I think when you look at the way he's playing, he knows that this is the way you've got to take the game forward. Especially you know under Gatland, you had great success, but it wasn't all singing, all dancing. You know, you were part of it. You know, Gat suffered. Yeah. You know, meant, exactly. you know losses in a row as well, and you know he was criticised for his ball in hand play as well. That you know very limited on how the tries were scored. Warren Ball. There's play. just there, there, there's two things to me that stand out. Is one his employment, shall I say, of Nick Tompkins. I think he, he is a Wayne Pivot player, whereas he might not have been a Gatland player. But uh, I, th- I think he's made for international rugby. I said it after his debut against Italy. And then, yeah, look, he had a horror show at Ireland. But you've got to give guys time and you can't sort of throw them out um, straight away when they make errors. You've got to allow them to do that. And I think Wayne Pivot's doing it very well. The worrying thing for me is, from a defence point of view, what has happened to the Wales defence? I-, I struggle to believe, although I've heard it has happened, that... With all the success you had and, and the foundation, the rock of really Wales' success um, in the last 12 years was built on Sean Edwards' defence, is why would anyone come in and change the system? I'm thinking maybe there's more of a focus with ball in hand and it's taking the energy away from defence. I'm, I'm hoping it's that, but I'm hearing that you know Byron Haywood has come in and he's, you know, he's tried to change the system up and uh, 
it's not the same Wales team sort of I'm used to watching over the last 12 years um, from that point of view. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think the light speed and the, the, the killer edge with uh, that, that uh, Britsty is, uh, is there. Uh, obviously, he's going to come in and change it. He's not, he's not Sean Edwards at the end of the day. Uh, so he's going to have his own take on things. Uh, again, I think if you look at the Wales team, there's a little bit of hesitant at the moment where they are learning, learning new stuff. So I think that's more than anything. When you go think about D, you'll tend to sort of stop <laughs> and scan. And you can see that happening in the games. They're not, it's not second nature yet. No, it will take time to embed what they're trying to do. But I'm interested if you look at the selections that they've had, especially up front. But it seems to be that they're going for, Wales are going for experience over young guys coming through. And Nick and I were talking earlier about the, the Wales scrum and the front row and and actually how they struggled at the weekend. The question is, is you know, are the new players coming through and, and do you think you need changes soon? Because you can't, you know, experience is counting for nothing, especially when you're getting thumped in the scrum. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they, they should be uh, experimenting there. Uh, they got a hell of a forwards course there with John Humphreys. Mm. He's very technical. He's good. He actually helped my career massively when I was uh, under him as a player. So he's uh, he's going to be a huge influence on the Welsh front row. But again, it's it's time. It's, and I agree. You, you want to be giving these uh, the younger boys boys waiting in the wings the test minutes. Obviously, now the the situation has gone away from this. Let's, let's experiment a bit. Let's, uh, let's try giving these other boys uh, some minutes on the field, give them the experiences they need. Especially if we're going down New Zealand, you never know what's going to happen between now and then, injury wise. So these could be your starters. So. The more test managers you get now, the better. So, uh, Rich, what's going on with you then? You didn't play. You weren't in the 23, were you, at the weekend on Friday night? Is that correct? Yep. Are you, uh, are you, are you injured? Are you sort of just having a rest week? Um, did they want you to enjoy <laughs> no. watching Wales v England? Are you, are, you enjoy, are you enjoying Dean Ryan's influence down there? I'm absolutely... He's brilliant, to be fair. He's, I think, a lot of, I spoke to a lot of boys before he came in. Uh, you had mixed reviews, and but he could uh, he can lose his rag at any moment. I think he's mellowed, mellowed loads, and he's he's perfect for the group we got the Dragons. Uh, obviously, we haven't had a very good, successful few seasons, and he's come in now and he's installing confidence back in the boys. Uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's really good for the group. He's he's got a slightly mature head on. He, he, He's, he's an experienced uh, man, isn't he? I've heard, I've heard he's yeah. doing good stuff down there. And, and as you yeah. said before, with Wales, same situation. You know, when someone comes yeah. in, it takes time to grow. Um, does, Rich, yeah. uh, thank you very, very much for coming on. Really appreciate your views. You know, experienced man, been in a lot of the, a lot of the Wales. Great hairdo as well. Uh, what great hairdo he's got. <laughs> well, what's your nickname, Rich? Is it still is it still Fat Patrick Swayze or not? Uh, don't, be, don't be fooled by that. It's more like Fat Thor now. Oh, is it Fat Thor? Is fat it? Thor. I, don't think, I don't think you're fat at all. I just remember Graham Roundtree telling me that's what he called you on the Lions Tour oh, in 2013. Yeah. I thought it was harsh, but... Uh, I'd love a nickname like that, Fat Thor. Jeez, <laughs> you're lucky, man. All right, cheers, boys. Cheers, thanks cheers, for coming mate. on. Cheers, The brand new rugby podcast, Rocket, with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So let's let's move on to the, 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 the game of the weekend, I suppose, Scotland against France. And um, I, I took a few bets with people. I said that Scotland were going to win this game. I, I just had it in my bones that they played so well, uh, you know, against Ireland, even against England, and just little errors that cost them the game, you know, single errors. But 
But Gareth, I mean, sorry, Greg Air Townsend must have a sigh of relief because that was one hell of a performance which lasted pretty much the whole match. Um, I suppose, you know, the sending off by Mohamed Hose, if that's how you pronounce his name, was just, just so reckless and so French from the last 10 years. I mean, you know, we were all hoping for this French side to sort of surprise us and to have discipline and to be able to finish out games. But this has just had the old French written all over the match, didn't it? Well, I mean, you would have thought the last critical game they had in terms of winning a tournament was the quarterfinal of a World Cup and Var Mahina does it. So you would have thought they would have learned the lessons. He's, you know, he's a young man. They've got a young team. I mean, it was a big ask, I think, you know... Um, you know, we we sort of backed him after the last after the last game for going for the Grand Slam. But I think in a cold light of day, you know, it's tough to get a Grand Slam and not to have that experience there. And they'll learn from that. Um, just coming back to Scotland's performance, um, we'll talk about a ball in hand. I'm sure we will. But defensively, they got the best defensive record by a long, long way. Points against. I know they played in horrendous conditions against us, but. Yeah. Uh, and that's a lot to do, and a lot of credit's got to go to Steve Tandy. You know, people talk about Sean Edwards, talk about mm. Andy Farrell, but Steve Tandy. And I come back to, you know, IP from other parts of the world. He spent the last yeah. two years down at the Waratahs um, as defence coach. You know, he's obviously coached in Wales as well. Now he's up in Scotland. Um, they've got Peter de Villiers there as well. Yeah, the scrum looks really good, doesn't it? Scrum's looking good. Um, he was with France for a number of years, wasn't he? Obviously, he had his uh, upbringing in South Africa. And just playing around the world gives you a much broader view and helps you find the best way of doing things and helps you know develop that player to be a much more all-round and all-court player and team. And again, I think they're, they're bearing the fruit of that. I found that game amazing because if there was one opportunity for, Fra- for Scotland to beat France, it would get under their skin, create havoc, make the ruck a sort of complete mess try and wind them up and every single thing happened and a bit of you know moments of brilliance from Scotland a few of the players played very well Adam Hastings again very good Hogg especially but they just got under their skin and once back row was outstanding back row back was row outstanding was again I mean they've been the outstanding back row of the tournament I mean you know Hamish and it's always Richard. been their calling card you yeah. know Scotland they might not have had the front five you know they're, they're under pressure, you know, they, they might go missing, but their bat row, it's always been about the breakdown. It's been about tenacity, getting in the opposition faces when, you know, th- you know, from the start of a game, basically, and seeing how they go. Um, France, you know, Entomac, was that, was that a big loss? Um, Roman Entomac going off. Um, Jalibert had a Awful pretty game. poor game after that. I mean, his defensive read, you know, when he was on the scramble, was just absolutely harebrained. Really, not what to do if you're. A, I had to. I had if to you're re- a youngster. I, re- I rewound that with my, my my son Charlie's watching it. I re- rewound. It. I said, whenever you get in the line, you're you know you're on your own line, and you look across, and there's three defenders, and you've got. Uh, three attackers in front of you. Just mark your man. Don't rush out the line. And this guy just literally goes between two people, gets no one, and doesn't make any decision. And it's, I mean, it was so easy to defend. What he was, and look, whether he's had enough time defending with Sean's system, and obviously it's an aggressive system, but sometimes you've got to make smart decisions. And there was a massive, um, there was a massive amount of space to cover, as you say, sort of three or four against three or four. So he's obviously come out of the line thinking, right, Sean's always said, I want lines to be getting the passing lane. But he's done that, right? So, okay, we know he should have probably stepped off and it should have been man on man. But once he's made that commitment, completely made that commitment, go and flatten the guy. Because what happens, that guy on the inside then, he can swim around you. Yeah. And he could possibly, possibly scramble to keep it as a two-on-two. So there's ability to fix problems and mistakes. But what he's done is he's got out of the line, he's hesitated, and then suddenly it's, you know, you've created a two-on-one. 
and and it's a it's a it's a gift try. But look, those are the learnings. You know, Sean's new system that would have come in as well. I'm sure he'll work hard leading into this week's game. But uh, those are learnings from. But I don't think you can take anything away from Scotland. I thought they played exceptionally well. I love their attacking ploy as well. We spoke about it earlier. You know, the short little passes or two three passes to expose sort of the, the short, inside. Yeah, the, sh- the way to get around Sean Edwards is rush defence and people pulling out the line is to do little inside passes. And you can see Scotland trying to do that a lot. But my favourite moment of the game was when Adam Hastings goes for his kick at goal and they they zoom in on his dad. Hilarious. So Diane and Gavin Hastings and Diane gives him a big kiss. And I think there's a picture of Adam Hastings shaking his head, putting his tongue out like going, yeah, that's disgusting. Have you ever been embarrassed like that by your parents kissing on TV no, when you've no, just scored three points? I you. you probably didn't know who my parents were, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, I thought that was great. You, see, you could see how relaxed he was, wasn't he? He's looking on the screen. He's seen it. He's just, you know, full of confidence. I thought, he, I think he's had a great Six Nations. Yeah. I think he's, you know, and it's been. People thought we were going to miss. Yeah, but it hasn't been straightforward, Finn has Russell. it? You know, all no. conditions. You know, no. all, all sort of results, losses, wins, um, and he's grown massively. And I think it's great for Scottish rugby. Look, Finn Russell. Let's hope that he's back in there because. You know, he is a once in a generation Apparently now player. they've had a chat. Someone said they have yeah, a chat. Yeah, he'll probably be it? back for the summer tour if it goes yeah. ahead. Um, and But they've got back up now. They've got genuine competition. I think that's only going to improve Finn Russell's performance as well. I just can't believe how Scotland can sort of compete with all of these nations with such a small amount of players playing. And I think it, it is in the coaching and it is in the environment. And um, But back to back to France, though. I mean, Fabian Galtier must be absolutely gutted. I mean, he was fuming in the box, wasn't he? He's had a few weeks where everything's gone his way. And it's just, I mean, I mean, oh, Sean Edwards must be absolutely livid with his team. Uh, I don't know what I don't know, you know, whether the, the next game it couldn't come too quickly for them because against Ireland, that's not going to be an easy match, is it? It's not, but I, I don't think Ireland would have enjoyed um, <laughs> that that result because now you're going to get a French side, mm. you know, um, spitting feathers, foaming at the mouth, wanting some retribution and. As they've always say, you know, the old cliche, a week's a long time in sport. It'll be a long week for France after that. You know, they review it. However, it can't be too long. Six-day turnaround. And they just, they will literally be begging for this game to go ahead. Because they won't want this to be rearranged for September, October, whenever it's going to be. They'll actually want to put wrong or put right the wrongs of yesterday's performance. But now it's wide open, isn't it? With this, I know someone realised, I read, that actually uh, not only can Ireland, if Ireland get a bonus point against France and then they get a bonus point against Italy whenever that's played yeah. then they win the tournament yeah. okay um, England obviously uh, can win it if the sort of France beat Ireland and then England get a bonus point and then Scotland if everyone beat everyone could potentially win it bizarrely is it just thinking about it, is it points difference first or is it who you've beaten if you're level on points is it who you've beaten or is it points difference I would have thought that was it try bonus points tri- what is it oh is oh that's we, we should get if, we, if to- we say it's both if we say it's points difference then it all comes down to you know if, if Ireland beat France but they don't get the bonus point then it literally comes down to how many points we and Ireland put on Italy yes um, so they'll know how how hard yeah. they've got to go which you'd imagine England would get a lot of points there. Yeah, if they're, if they're going and Ireland the will be at home to Italy. And I think it also depends on who plays them first sometimes because an extra game can make uh, make the opposition a bit more battle-hardened, can't it, and a bit more difficult. But now, I mean, now the question is when these games are going to be played. Now, the foot and mouth was played in October. Quite, you know, people are saying that maybe it's going to be played before the summer tours. Then they're saying maybe the summer tours won't happen and the clubs aren't going to allow the release of the players. I mean, it's just so complicated and it's sort of... 
Annus Horribilis for the Six Nations, isn't it, really? It is, but this is a bigger issue, isn't it? And it's much bigger than sport and more important than it. And it's just it's just unfortunate that it's been quite a subdued tournament because of it. And you need a bit of a bollock grabbing, don't you, just to get you talking about something different, <laughs> I suppose, in, in the news. So, look, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? We've been on the receiving end. Um, tell us about your incident. Oh well, I'm not sure I should put this on the uh, on rookie. It's 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 that crude. People ask me. I remember, you know, when I I was, people were interested in what I was up to and was playing for in go to schools. They say, "What's your worst ever injury?" And I would never announce my worst ever injury. I'd say, "Yes, I had my teeth knocked out. They got knocked out and put into Andy Robinson's uh, head, which was quite funny, and he got an infection." But the worst injury I ever had was against against Newcastle, near the end of my career, and five minutes into the game. Doddy Weir, the great Doddy Weir, gets the ball and he runs at me, bumps me off, and as he bumps me over, I sort of lie on my back, I'm sort of like a turtle turned over with my legs in the air, and he stamps on my genitalia, right? Now, thing is, the forwards, they always, what they would do is, before the game, they would show their studs to the referee, being these small little studs, and then when the referee had gone out, they'd take out a new pair of boots, which would like have massive studs on so what he's done he's he's stamped on my genitalia and everywhere around it full force 19 stone and i've had that moment of sickness in my stomach i'm in absolute agony i'm like oh my god and it, it took me three or four minutes to sort of try and forget about it but eventually i forgot about it we won the game and in the game i'm having a shower and i sort of as i'm as i'm washing down there i sort of notice something around my uh, my my arsehole and i'm thinking what is that something stuck to me now what i used to do for pain relief is i used to get a suppository put it up there and effectively within about 15 minutes my back pain would be gone so i could touch my toes and pass a ball anyway so i presumed it was uh, something that would be congealed and it was sort of stuck to me so I tried to get scissors to basically cut this piece off and I couldn't do it what and then, pieces exactly listen it gets worse so I go into the physio get the correct piece. I go into the physio's room and I and I give him a scissor and I said look something stuck to me I think it's congealed from the suppository can you just cut it out so I sort of open my cheeks and he looks down and he goes oh my god and I've gone what what so he didn't explain he then runs into the changing room and says boys boys come in here you've got to have a look at this so they so I've got my cheeks open I'm what what and they're all like, oh, my God. So what's happened is these long studs, Doddy Weir, he stamped on my on me and one of his studs has gone into my arsehole and has come out and ripped two inches off my arsehole, right? Now, when I say pain, I mean pain. Then I had to have a, a, an anaesthetic injection for the pain, which was agony, and then I had it stitched up. So that was my genitalia story, which I never repeat told before but I have now and it's out there and don't judge me by the way I walk Rocket Kieran Bracken Nick Easter the brand new rugby podcast we'll be back next week follow us on Twitter at Rocket underscore podcast 